The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Welcome to Dynamic Healing with two experts in chronic pain, David Hanscom and Les Aria. This podcast will show you how to unlock your body's ability to heal. Just breathe and learn how to rewire your brain and break free from chronic pain. Welcome to Dynamic Healing Podcast. I'm Les Aria. And I'm David Hanscom. And our topic today is accessing the love within. So we're excited about this word. We're part of a film called Love Heals. And it's with one of my clients, Dana. And we'll talk about that later in the film. But we have a specific purpose this morning um, to discuss. Oh, absolutely, David. So our unconscious brain's primary function is to protect us. Unfortunately for humans, it is manifested in ongoing self-critical voices. To access our inherent capacity to love, these voices must be de-energized, which requires specific approaches. So I want to re- read a quote from a very famous writer, Anthony DeMello. He's a Jesuit priest, but the book is not about, it's not a religious tone to it. It's just flat out calls out life the way it is. Mm-hmm. He's one of the most brilliant writers of all time. And to him, it's not the way to love. He defines love as awareness. We'll discuss that further also. So here it goes. The chapter is from The Eye of a Needle. What can one do to attain happiness? There is nothing you or anyone else can do. Why? For the simple reason that you are already happy right now. So how can you acquire what you already have in you? If that is so, why do you not experience this happiness, which is already yours? Because your mind is creating unhappiness all the time. Drop this unhappiness of your mind and the happiness that has always been yours will will instantly surface. How does one drop unhappiness? Find out what is causing it and look at the cause unflinchingly and it will automatically drop. So what our purpose is today is that we've noticed this for a long time. You have these voices that torture us we already have an inherent connection to ourselves, but these voices get in the way. And so Dr. Navarro says, find out what is causing it and look at the cause unflinchingly, it will automatically drop. So what our discussion is today is to review what gets in the way in the terms of the self-critical voices. But we also wanna give you some techniques and tools and approaches to actually de-energize these voices. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is really key is, and the word uh, Dave and I were talking about is uh, to de-energize. And that's just another word for being able to um, pause, step back, uh, loosen, unhook. There are many different things, but once you unhook, de-energize, what do you do? And we'll walk you through a few things on how to re-energize yourself. And the word is love or the word safety, which we'll um, differentiate here. So the main thing is that we want to Today, we're going to focus a bit more on de-energizing the voices. In a future podcast, we'll talk about re-energizing. But the bottom line is, I, I belong to a group called a Charter for Compassion a couple, maybe 15 years ago. And it's a great cause. And But I also realized that we have compassionate rallies, compassionate cities, compassionate banners. The trouble is compassion, which is the same word for love, is a rational, conscious construct. And when you're triggered, Anytime you're triggered, you're anxious or frustrated, compassion goes right out the window. Why is that? Well, first of all, the unconscious triggers are powerful, much stronger than the conscious mind. And second of all, when you're triggered, you're in the past. 
So remember, DeMello cause discusses the way to love is the way to awareness. Anytime you're triggered, something in the present triggers something from the past. Right. So when you're triggered or upset or angry, that means the past is playing out in the present moment. So one of the first things you have to do is to de-energize these triggers or voices, which Dr. Ari is going to talk about here in a bit. And then compassion emerges. It's already there. I will have to tell you, I spent a year trying to convince my team to look at it from the reverse direction of letting love emerge as opposed to, I'll use the word contriving it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get through to them. I was not successful. <clears throat> well, I think too often when we're trying to force happiness and force love and, uh, you know, we're trying not to think about the bad things. The problem with that is uh, you've written a great, what's the name of the article? Because I always call it the paradoxical effect, but your blog, um, uh, that speaks about the paradoxical effect is the more you try to push for something, the more you try to push for happiness, the worse you feel. What, what, can you give us the name of the blog, please? Well, it's the article is written by Dr. Daniel Wegner, W-E-G-N-E-R, in 1999. And I can put this on the program notes, but it's called The Seed of Our Undoing. That's it. And it turns out that the more well-intentioned of a person you are, the bigger this problem. In other words, your self-critical voices, which I've learned from Dr. Arya, are trying to protect you all the time. So if you try to be happy, your unconscious brain is going to look for ways that you may not be happy. It's trying to protect you from being unhappy. But the unconscious brain is so powerful, it wipes out the happiness. So the research shows, so, so the research shows if you try to be happy, you'll actually end up sad. Mm -hmm. If you try to be sad, you'll end up buoyantly happy. The research also shows if you try not to be racist, you end up being more racist. Yeah. And so it's very consistent, very clear. And it happens more to the most well-intentioned people. That's right, David. Let's see what I'm doing. That's, that's right. That's a, folks, you got to read that blog. And um, David, I can't remember how many hits you had in like thousands and thousands. We're talking 80,000 probably plus by now. Um, folks, this is such an important topic. And, and again, uh, as David talked about how the past shows up in the present, and the part I wanted to emphasize here, David, I'm not sure am I able to say this. So sometimes when we try to force things, so this is my um, metaphor. Are you ready for this? You may not like it. The audience may go gross. All right. Um, here's this. If I can invoke some emotions in folks and get you to think about things differently. Uh, so absolutely. So sometimes when we're not feeling this love and we're feeling this sadness and this anxiety or this anger, that's the poop that we're experiencing. And whenever we try to force something, it's like putting ice cream on poop. So the goal is not to do that because you're fooling yourself in of itself. And that's the part where you talk about is where we are sometimes unknowingly caught in this trance of the past. And the trance of the past really just tends to activate more default mode, survival mode circuitries in our brain. And then that really impacts the psychology. Um, and so that's why we wanted to uh, we wanted to really, really emphasize the past creeps in constantly and it's out of your awareness. Well, let me go a step deeper than that, is that um, the human brain, and this is the way there's a book out called Live Wired by David Eagleman, who goes into the development of the brain. And humans are unique in that we are completely programmed by our environment. Our parents, our environment, our society, teachers, right. peers, everything programs us every second. So everything I do right this minute is completely programmed by the past. 
So unless you are aware of what the past is, it the past is always playing out, always. So you have to actually understand that the way all of us survive life is that we learn lessons from the past, we act in the future, it's called the predictive model of coding. So being really simplistic, I'm not gonna put my hand on a hot stove or right. walk out in front of traffic as we've been programmed that's dangerous. Well, unfortunately, a lot of our perceptions of other people in life are based on cognitive distortions that aren't actually real, but they also get programmed into our brain. So we start living our life out based on our prior programming. You're ugly, you're fat, you're this, this, or this. And so what blew me away is that I wasn't, as so maybe 50, 55 years old, that it was called the Hoffman process, which systematically looked at your family patterns and your father and mother. And if you adopt the pattern, and what I found out is that these patterns play out in your life every day, all the time. But becoming aware of those patterns that play out, then you can actually create your own. But what really blew me, blew me away is we try not to be something. You try not to be your father or try not to be your mother. The patterns are still running the show. They're called rebellious patterns. So what happened, I found out I was quite successful. There's some things about my father that I wasn't particularly fond of. And so I did, I was not my father in a couple regards, but what I failed to do is become David. I was, mm -hmm. I was, I was working from the patterns. And remember the essence of healing is connection, 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 and awareness, awareness, awareness. So you have to connect with what is before you can move a different direction. And mm -hmm. there's a lessism, which I think you have given credit to somebody else for, you have to feel to heal. You have to see the patterns, you have to feel them then you can reprogram a different direction. So again, going, if you, and this may be a little bit off topic and we'll risk not finishing today to go here, but every living creature of every species is programmed to survive. So you, you and I are here talking. So our species has evolved to survive right now. We're alive. Okay. But we know how to physically survive. A lot of times we'll actually hurt other people, either society, wars, bullying, whatever it is to survive. So we physically know how to survive to get food on our table, shelter over our heads. We'll compete in school to get higher grades to get more resources. We'll compete all sorts of different ways to survive, but it's based on competition. So we become very good at survival skills, but they're dysfunctional survival skills. Then humans have an additional problem that we have emotional issues to survive. And so again, self-esteem, building up your self-esteem, putting other people down, et cetera, et cetera, are also a way we emotionally survive, which are also dysfunctional. So we, we become experts at dysfunctional survival skills. That's it. And so, and again, and we're doing it wrong because anxiety and anger are not psychological, they're physiological states. But I have to finish one more part of this is that Healing occurs from efficient, efficiently learning how to process anxiety and anger, which take you offline, which take you out of awareness, but also comes from nurturing joy. Now, tell me where in my life I was systematically taught how to nurture joy. Because your brain's always, that's where the self-critical voices come in. Again, we're trying to survive. And again, we're really good at dysfunctional survival skills, both emotionally and physically. And we certainly aren't taught to nurture joy. And so the human condition is a bit of a problem right now because these are skills that we're into survival. That's what all animals do. 
and we're not taught how to, how to um, navigate the emotional landscape of creating joy. And, that, and this comes back to what we read in the beginning is to be able to get there is it requires practice to de-energize what is actually taking up space and um, operating from a default mode. And again, this is just a survival mechanism that's built in. So what David and I are really emphasizing today is to feel a sense of love or to feel the sense of um, something that's really healthy and moving in a direction. It requires intentionality. It requires practice. So that could be a new default mode is when you notice things happening inside of you to be able to intentionally shift, but you have to get separation from that thought, that emotion, from that physicality. We're not asking just to simply replace it, but one of the first steps is to be able to recognize when you're actually in that mode. Right. So today we're gonna to talk about two parts of it. Um, we're talking about some of the tools to actually um, de-energize these self-critical voices, de-energize these, remember when you're anxious or angry, you simply are not aware and love is not possible. Mm -hmm. So this is a bi-directional process. In other words, there's ways of shifting your physiology or your body's chemistry from threat to safety, which is essentially what we're trying to do. But also by choosing joy or choosing love, you actually can cause a physiology to shift also. So you can shift the physiology and create this sense of safety, but you also can choose safety and shift the physiology. So it goes both directions. So we're going to talk about one particular tool that... Um, I like to talk about <clears throat> is anger, we call it anger processing. Mm -hmm. And forgiveness is one of those parts of it, but it's too big of a word. If there's ongoing abuse or whatever, there's lots of reasons. Anger has too many, con I'm sorry, forgiveness has too many connotations to it. So it's a correct word and a great concept, but it's too big for lots of situations and for too many people, including myself. So I understand the abuse of my past, I've let it go. I have compassion for the people that abuse me. So to me, the better word is just letting it go. What I call flipping the switch. Okay, I'm in a victim mode. I'm done. So I call it 532 is that we become angry every day. Life comes at us. Things are never perfect. People are competing with us for resources. And so we react. So remember, this is an ongoing process you use multiple times a day, every day. So I call it 532. So the first phrase, which is five words, is no action in a reaction. In other words, if you're angry and frustrated, it's destructive. It's designed to protect you and not the other person. So it's destructive to you, relationships, other people. It's a destructive force. So I just say no action in a reaction. So I clench my jaw. I walk out of the room because you can't pretend not to be angry. The second sentence is flip the switch, three words. So I'll flip the switch, okay, I'm in the angry mode, I'm in a victim mode, how long do I wanna stay here? But I don't move out of that until I'm ready to do so. It could be five minutes, it could be a day, it could be a week. So I just know I'm in the victim mode, which is okay. It's fine to be angry as long as you're not acting out. So again, no action and reaction. Number two, flip the switch, done. It's too powerful to fight it, so I just have to move away from it. And the third, sentence which is two words move on and there's a lot and that's what les is going to talk about a little bit about you make different choices than the one that actually gets you angry in the first place so again five three two no action in a reaction flip the switch move on yep 
I think that's it's it's nice. Um, uh, I like a swing to it. No action in a reaction. Switch, move on. This takes practice. This takes practice. Much like meditation, much like many things, like social manners, to be able to create a new default mode that's towards a sense of greater safety and love, for that matter. Uh, David, so um, I'm not sure if you or anyone uh, else in the audience has ever done something called. Um, like walking, mindfulness, meditation, walks. Um, do you mind if I just share with the group there four steps to that? Um, so we were just talking, I love David's um, anger processing skill set is, you know, uh, the five, three, two, again, no action and reaction, flip the switch, move on. So kind of write that out. Uh, you got to see it. You got to see it, feel it, practice it. Now, what I wanted to share with everyone is, let's just say you are in this mode of grumbling, you're feeling hurt, you're feeling frustrated about something, or even anxious for that matter. If you've never taken a meditation training or um, what we call uh, a meditation walk, it has four steps to it. Let me walk you through it. So if you actually, David, if you actually, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bug you a little. Imagine that you're walking with me and we're doing this meditation and you're, you're walking behind me and you can see how my legs are moving. So uh, just for a sense of fun and practice, if you actually just place your hands, your palms on your desk, so just place your palm on, your, on the desk, okay? So imagine that palm that's resting on your desk or your lap is that's your, that's your feet, all right? So it's a, it's a foot that, that you're looking at. So Here's how a meditation uh, walk goes into four steps. So David, so watch me as I'm demonstrating to this David's audience, you can actually practice with this. If you place your hands on a desk or your lap, so it has four steps, let me go through it. And then I'm gonna have David and all of us practice this so you can imagine that too. When you are doing a meditation walk, you want to lift, swing, place, press. And that's the movement of each foot when you do a meditation walk. So imagine your foot, your, your palm is the, is the foot if you have it on the desk, and the desk is the, is the ground that you're walking on. So you lift, so when you do a meditation walk, you lift that one foot up, swing, place, press. And you do that with the other foot. And so this is how you do a meditative walk. You don't just, put, just you don't simply walk and feel heel to toes. You could do that, but the proper training that they've done this for like two thousand plus years is lift, swing, place, press, and you say that in your head as you slow your breathing down. Lift, swing, place, press, and then you do it with the other foot, and you do that for about a couple of minutes. You will be in the present moment which then, as David and I have been talking about, opens the portal to a sense of safety and it's you're able to then express that sense of love. And David has talked about this in previous podcasts. It permits the cycle of healing. Yeah, that's, that's a great exercise. I like that. Um, anything that connects you to your... Remember, the essence of healing, by the way, is awareness. And again, awareness is love. Love is awareness. And so by choosing to be aware, by choosing to experience the walk, by choosing to experience your breath, by choosing to listen to other people, by choosing joy, those are all ways of placing your attention on something else. So instead of fighting these crazy self-critical thoughts, which keep 
coming in at us while you've actually chosen a different sensation and starting to move on. So again, um, you, and there's also a phrase you use, less we've talked about in prior podcasts about catch, check, and choose. Right, that's another you intervention. Aware that you're out of the moment and then you understand what, how your relationship to that moment then you choose a different direction. So I'd like to have you discuss what I've learned a lot from you on the acceptance and commitment um, theory is about the self-critical voices. And you talk about, uh, we'll just review this again. It takes me a long time to really understand this in a way. I mean, I've heard it intellectually, but you keep mentioning, okay, so you're triggered. You're in a difficult moment. You're angry, you're frustrated. You intellectually know you shouldn't be here. Maybe your tools aren't working very well that day that you've used. And some days they won't, by the way. And so again, we're programmed to survive. That's our default programming. And it takes repetition to make your default programming a more functional program. But you keep asking the questions, how do you wish to be in difficult moments? You're trapped right. by something, finances, pain, authoritarianism, whatever it is, you're trapped and it's difficult. How do you choose to be? Yeah. And, and again, so it goes back, how do you choose to be is just another expression um, of what we call a value driven behavior. It's a mental quality of action. I wish to be loving. I wish to be joyful. I wish to be kind. Um, then so you have that thought. It's a mental quality of action. And so it requires an action. So so this is the part that is really hard for most patients and that I work with is they're like, I, I, I want to be loving, but I don't know how to be. And that's the part is how would you wish to be towards yourself and how would, do you wish to be treated? If you had a child and the child was crying and the child was angry, how would you show that sense of love? So when you make a decision to be loving or kind or joyful for that matter, it's a mental quality and it requires actions, maybe a kind word. It's maybe a soothing voice. It could be a rub in the chest. So there, an action must follow that mental quality. And so if we choose joy. So then the question would be is, all right, that's a, that's a quality. So joy is a value. How do I wish to express that? So you could have joyful things you could say to yourself versus you could say to yourself, this is why it's important not just to have the thought, but there needs to be action. And David, um, I'm going to give the audience a couple, uh, some fine tuning here. One of the things that I tell my patients, and I, I run two large groups at uh, the health care organization I'm with, is I tell them this over and over again, and it takes practice. When you wake up in the morning, set your coordinates. What does that mean? It means make a decision on how you wish to be towards yourself and others. Because when you wake up in the morning, stuff happens. You could get an email, a text, a phone call. You could spill coffee, the kids at home, um, unhelpful in-laws, things, stuff could happen. So when you are confronted with difficult moments, you already had chosen your value for the day. So this is why if you choose to be love, and I'll just to let David and the audience know, last week, my whole theme each day was how can I be loving towards myself and others during difficult moments? And it required me to say, do, and practice different things. So this is why it's real important for us to not just think about it, but put some action behind it. Well, the other thing I remember, and you, are you in the mood to share your personal health issues about that? change? I love that. I mean, you talked to my wife last night, which I thought was a great conversation about 
that we use these self-critical voices to drive us, drive us, drive us. But I just want to review the genealogy of anger just for a second. You have a circumstance that you blame, and then you're a victim, and then you're angry. So yeah. is that victim mode is a problem. So it could be a perceived wrong or it can be a real wrong. Of course, being in pain is a real victimhood. I mean, it's legitimate. And the problem is the, hard, the more legitimate your victimhood, the harder it is to let it go, but it still damages your body. And so um, then, so your self-critical voices are constantly telling you not good enough, not good enough. And could you briefly give us a few of those self-critical voices? Because those self-critical voices are actually anger directed inward. They're not, they're not nice. Now they're there to protect you. I mean, it's a survival mechanism. So they're there, it's universal, everybody has them. But um, you call one of them Judge Judy, I believe. Yes, uh, <laughs> it's just pretty good memory, David. Sure. Uh, folks, one of the things is I have different names for my inner critics and you don't have just one, you have multiple. I want you to imagine that um, you're the donkey and the mind is the stick and it beats us. So inner critic, that's the metaphor I use. And so it's, you know, believe it or not, um, that inner critic that we all have, or multiple inner critics, what's really interesting is um, self-judgment and judgment. I call mine Judge Judy. It's constantly judging myself, how I look, how I'm not doing this, or before we got on the podcast, um, I caught it. And, um, we had to do a couple of retakes here because I was too giggly. And uh, when I look at David, I just want to just chuckle because you know, he brings joy to my life here. And so my judge, Judy, came on and said, look, get your shit together. Wow. And in that moment, I felt this kind of shame come on. And David was kind enough. He goes, he laughed. And so I laughed along. But I heard the voice in my head. These are the voices that sometimes tells us that we cannot get better. We cannot maybe lose weight or we cannot get to a healthy state or we cannot get into pain recovery or we cannot feel happiness because who's going to love you? What's interesting and David talks about is uh, last year and when we were filming Love Heals, this documentary that David and I are in, is that um, I was working anywhere from 12 to 14 hour days and you know, David was in a, it was just one of those things. Um, with the COVID and the uh, and just a lot of work I had to do. And I was exercising and doing this, but I had gotten to an unhealthy state of weight and just working long hours. And David basically said, listen here, man, <laughs> is this, a, this is not the way to live. And I'm like, yep, but I've got to get things done because my judge duty was quite high. The reason we love talking about this is we're just like you folks. We suffer with certain inner critic voices, but it's how you relate to it. And I was telling David and David's wife, Babs, here, and, you know, she's sweet as pie. And she was saying, you know, what is it you did to, to get more healthier? Here's what it is. I actually made a commitment to be kinder and loving to myself. In doing so, in that moment, I made a decision. It's kind of like Alcoholics Anonymous. You have to kind of admit, stop with the denial that this is overpowering you. I made a decision to be more loving than ever I've ever been. And what's interesting is I started to move towards a healthier way to start to do things more. And I've cut back on a lot of projects. And David is uh, kind of my support. He's been kind of guiding me here. So he's my guru, but he doesn't like to be called that, but he is. And love does heal because it permitted me to get to a new place of resetting my lifestyle from just the way I do things and say things and even weight loss for that matter, which is beautiful, by the way. So therefore, when, the, when we talk about values, we talk about love, it is not just 
a simple word. It actually has a physiological effect and a psychological effect, and it is ripe for healing. And this is the part where I feel joy. Well, and the problem is if you, unfortunately what drove me to become a major spine surgeon was this not good enough voice, right. right? So you're running from your past, not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. And so the voices never stop and the achievements never stop. And so I was incredibly quote successful, but I also got physically and mentally sick. I got sick. Yeah. And at age 37, it exploded. And so it was a big problem. Um, I have 20 medical colleagues dead from suicide. So they quote were successful, but I don't call that success. And I was one of the, I was almost number 20. I was almost in that, in that mode. So this inner critic voice drives you and drives you and drives you. But the problem is, is that, that it, it takes up so much energy to run from that voice you don't have the energy to be creative and move forward and listen and be aware. And the other thing is when you're running so fast away from self-critical voices, that's the opposite of being aware, right? It is. It is. I love the way you just said that is, you know, we're trying to run. So this is the part where my patients really get frustrated. I'm like, this is how we welcome the unwelcomed, right, David? Learning to de-energize. I love that word. I was telling David, I love that word, de-energize, so much better than unhook or getting space in between. De-energize basically means is you're unplugging something and plugging it into something else. You're de-energizing and re-energize this. So it's really important to understand the inner critic is there. It's there because it's made you successful in practically everything you've done, but you cannot use beating yourself, judging yourself harshly and creating that shame inside of you. It, the inside world does not work that way. You might've used the critical voice to kind of get you success like a surgeon, David. It's gotten, that's why you're, you're one of the best. And so the point here is this, but when you're trying to feel the sense of peace and healing, when you've got chronic pain, depression, trauma, anxiety, that stuff does not work. So de-energizing the inner critics, again, go back to a different podcast. We go through catch, check, choose. We break it down. In fact, thanks to David, he's like, no less, we need to really decompartmentalize this and talk about it in each episode. So kudos to you, David. So audience, if you're still kind of confused or joining us for the first time, take a look at our other podcast when we walk through ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, Catch, Check, Choose Interventions on how to de-energize and to bring in more sense of joy, love, peace. And by the way, David, before I hand this back to you and as we come to a close here shortly, David, did you know this? And audience, uh, I was researching this. Um, we have like over 34,000 kinds of emotions, 34,000. They've studied this. Who has the time, by the way? Wow. And uh, we would say seven, maybe. Yeah, we might have anywhere between six to seven core emotions, different theories they argue and debate about it. Here's the point. When you combine this, I found this through research, when you combine joy and trust, it equates love. Joy and trust. Joy, think about the excitement Having a, have, having a sense of hope. Trust is rebuilding trust with your nervous system. And when you actually can do that, that's love. And love actually facilitates the healing versus the stress response or the survival response. So all good stuff. And we are encouraging you to understand that you can hear our talks, you know, sure, joy is great, whatever it is. 
But I do want to finish up with something that's really critical here is that I've been noticing since I've been challenged by one of my mentors the last three or four months of the question, what brings you joy? I realized I know comfort levels. I know obsessive work patterns. That's my comfort zone. And clearly as I've learned to solve problems and process anxiety and anger, I live a much, much more enjoyable life. But there's a different energy about bringing in joy. And so look at your kids, look at your spouse, look at your coworkers, look at life in general. Think how often your brain goes to the critical part as opposed to what's valuable. So your spouse triggers you or your kids trigger you and all of a sudden you have them labeled or whatever. And it's not nice, but we do it. That's what our brains do. It's not a, don't feel, you can't feel badly about it because that's what our brains are supposed to do is look for the negatives. Right. But look how, what's just really struck me, it's easy for me to just, and this has become something I have to work on, is that I'm self-critical. I've been criticized by my mentors and peers, which is a way surgeons get better. So you tend to be critical of other people because you're projecting your own self-critical voices onto other people. So the way you reverse that is you choose whatever's going on on a given day, just choose to look at the positive parts of that person because it starts reflecting back on what you think about yourself. So it's a bi-directional process that is, as you choose joy, that actually comes back on you. You start looking at the good parts of yourself. And so instead of being self-critical, you can actually be self-affirming. And again, so programming is repetition and your brain starts going into a different set of circuits. But it's pretty humbling when you start actually realizing how often you choose criticism or negativity in other people. It's just automatic. Well said. So anyway, so we want to finish here is that we want to emphasize that we've talked multiple times in this podcast about how anxiety is a physiological state. Trying to avoid that sensation generated by your body's stress response drives a lot of human behavior that's very dysfunctional. Anxiety has evolved to be an extremely unpleasant state because it's a survival sensation. And so once you understand that it's just what you have, not who you are, and learn to develop a working relationship with it, then you can start to live your life. So again, learn how to de-energize those circuits is really critical. And then, but you also have to choose the other part of the thing, just solving your problems doesn't bring you joy. So love slash awareness is also a physiological state of safety. And it's a state of safety that promotes regeneration and healing. So not just your brain starts to quiet down, but there's a lot of physical symptoms that actually calm down at the same time because your body's physiology has changed. So most of you know, I have 17 different physical mental symptoms at one point in time, they're all gone. My feet don't burn. I don't have migraine headaches. My ears don't ring. Why? That's not like psych- they weren't imaginary ringing. I mean, ringing for 25 right. years is not imaginary. And there's over 50 million people in this country that have tinnitus or ringing in their ears. It's a miserable, miserable symptom. It's gone. Okay, is that psychological? Was it mind over matter? No, it's a physiological state. So safety, love, kindness are physiological states. And in that state, you can actually regenerate and heal. And that's how you heal is by seeking that state. So love heals is not a benign term. It's a very powerful concept. And it's really changed the way I look at life in general. It really is. And um, as as David said, again, I'm going to really reemphasize this. If we often think of love as just a romantic thing, David and I are looking at love from a healing state. And when you're feeling the sense of, you know, like I said, joy, trust, peacefulness, 
that that is fertile ground for love. And so, David, um, I think we wrap up wrap up this podcast with um, you know the the emphasis here is love is a physiological state of safety, and re-emphasizing it regenerates. It's it helps us heal. It moves us towards the better us. And so it requires us to do this. Would everyone who's listening to this be willing to do this for the next seven days? And if that's too much um, until our next next podcast, if you're not, if you don't want to do the next seven days, just choose one day today or tomorrow and you wake up and say, I'm going to choose love over something else. You are intentionally making a value-based decision. Remember, you think of it, now how do I express that love through words, through writings, through actions? Make a decision today that when you have a difficult moment, how do you wish to be? Love, because that's a physiological state of safety, which then impacts your psychological states and then feeds it back into your body. And that is really important. That's the kind of medicine that we need to be practicing more and more. But as David says, it takes practice. Also, one take it one step a little bit deeper is that okay, so you're gonna wake up today and you're gonna be triggered by somebody, probably your partner or your kids. <clears throat> okay, that moment, who do you choose to be? So you look at your kid who just really irritated you, and you go, What do I love about my child? Instead of focusing on the negativity that this person is lazy, doesn't clean his room, this, this, and this, look at what you love. And guess what? It's gonna change everything. And again, it won't happen after just one time, as less as it takes repetition. But choose joy, choose love, choose awareness, but become aware of what your brain automatically goes to, which is criticism. So, but the other thing that I haven't talked this over with less, this is one of my strongest thoughts on life in general. We're going to do a couple of podcasts here shortly on what love is not. Yeah. And the common version of love that we hear in songs and music and movies is a positive transference, which is actually not love. It's the, actually the opposite of love. It's a transference. And we're talking about anger being a negative transference. The common concept of love is actually a positive transference. That's why love and hate are so closely related because they're transferences. But what we conceive as love is not love and actually what causes a lot of damage is this positive transference. And so we're going to discuss that in a couple of podcasts coming up shortly. <clears throat> I have incredibly strong feelings on this one. And I'm going to, I'm going to be anxious to learn from Dr. Arya on the run here about how this all works. But it's, it's positive transference. <clears throat> what we call love, romantic love, is actually a disaster. It's a neurological trick. So mm -hmm. true love is connection and commitment <clears throat> and awareness. And uh, we're excited to be able to discuss this with you. So thank you for joining us. And folks, be kind to yourself today and choose love over others. This is the key to success in your healing. So be kind, be loving. And David, fantastic. Thanks for making me laugh in this podcast. Hopefully you got something out of it. And until next time, catch you the next moment. Thanks. David and Les would love to hear from you about today's podcast and any ideas for future topics. You can email them at David hyphen less at dynamic healing podcast.com. That's David hyphen less at dynamic healing podcast.com.